Welcome to It's All Connected, a Marvel Studios podcast brought to you by MCUExchange.com. It's all connected. Everything. Hey everyone, welcome to It's All Connected, the big 75th episode extravaganza. I say extravaganza. It's mainly going to be t- talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. finally, uh, season 3 to be specific. Uh, and join with me is Doug. Hi everybody. Hey, welcome back. Thanks, glad to be back. Two in a row. It looks like we had a little bit, uh, we were supposed to get Matthew on from MCU Exchange as well, and he had a bit of a, a technology snafu, so. Yeah, yeah. Technical difficulties. Yeah, that's always it's always something when you're when you're dealing with technology. Um, so hopefully, maybe we'll have him on for next week's episode, uh, so we can get caught up, which would be great. We mentioned last week we thought we'd be talking strictly about the episodes, uh, and there's just a few little quick hit news items that I thought we'd just talk about uh, real quick. Uh, and the first one we'll kind I'll kind of get out of the way, and I'm gonna file this under. Uh, highly speculative, wildly unsubstantiated rumor, uh, <laughs> but but just something kind of fun to talk about. So I don't I don't put a lot of credence in this, but I wouldn't put it past either Marvel or Netflix. But big rumor uh, from from the site uh, Peel the Orange, which I guess is kind of like an up and coming uh, movie rumor site, I guess. And they they say sor- sources closest to close to them at Marvel are saying that. Uh, instead of getting an Iron Fist series after Luke Cage, like it originally been planned, as you know, the four series were going to be Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and then Iron Fist, uh, leading into the Defenders, that they're actually going to swap out Iron Fist for the Punisher, uh, just from what we, what I guess they've seen and the feedback they've gotten so far of uh, John Bernthal playing the Punisher in uh, Luke in the Luke Cage, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, season two of Daredevil. But they're saying that that what Netflix may do in Marvel is make an Iron Fist movie. So just do like an hour 45, hour 52 hour uh, movie. And then whether it leads into Defenders or not, anybody's guess. But uh, that I think that would be interesting to test the waters. I mean, this would be the first time that Marvel Studios has done a movie uh, outside of theatrical release. So it would be kind of an interesting experiment. Uh, and then give give fans the Iron Fist that they want because I I know um, I was feeling a little bit disappointed. I know like I, we joke all the time on the podcast. John is on Iron Fist casting watch, which uh, which hasn't come true yet. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week. We mentioned the uh, Iron Fist getting replaced with Punisher rumor, um, and it's that was also from from Peel the Orange, and now they're saying it'll maybe be a movie. Um, yeah, I don't buy it, but I think it's really interesting to think about. Um, I don't know if you've seen the trailer for The Ridiculous Six. That's uh, Adam Sandler's Netflix movie. No. Uh-uh. It's, <laughs> it looks uh, like there are a lot of big names in it, and that's about all the nice things I can say about it. <laughs> but, you know, Adam Sandler has a deal with Netflix for, I think, four movies that Netflix is producing for him. Yeah. And so, you know, they want the Adam Sandler name, which I guess still has value to some people. But, you know, they I I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix wanted to team up with Marvel to make movies because they're already well established in terms of creating original TV content. 
Um, and I think, you know, with picking up the, they didn't produce Beast of No Nation, but they did get to, uh, you know, to put it on Netflix at the same time as its theatrical release and their deal with Sandler. You know, I think that if they want to start making movies, Marvel's a great place to go for that. And so, yeah, if if Marvel wanted to do sort of a, a series of PG-16 movies like they're doing with the shows, I think Netflix might be a great place for that. Yeah, it could give us a little bit what we, you know, what they don't really do on the movie side of things, which is, you know, go skew a little older, skew a little more mature. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm sure a, a two hour movie is, is probably going to have a smaller budget than a 13 episode TV series. Maybe, maybe not quite as much because you, you pull all the, you know, kind of pull out the stops for a two hour movie. Uh, but I, th- I think, you know, given what they've built up previously, it would be a nice, it'd be, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm curious to see how it works, you know, with, with Disney having the deal they have with Netflix, uh, you know, it's shaping up to be that Netflix could carve themselves out a nice little pocket of of Disney content. And if and if this Marvel relationship continues to blossom, uh, my guess is that only helps their relationship with the Disney parent company. So, uh, so it, it, interesting. I, I like the fact that you know, again, highly highly speculative, but. Um, you know, we've seen, you know, good things come from Netflix. And so I'm, I'm excited to, to see them at least try something. So. Yeah, definitely. I think it gives them a chance to do smaller things as well, because, you know, with, with Marvel movies, I mean, they're tentpole blockbusters. And if they don't make at least $400 million worldwide, they're sort of considered to be disappointing at this point. I mean, Ant-Man just uh, in the past week or so crossed the 500 million mark, and that's great, but it's still one of the lower grossing Marvel movies. Um, So if they wanted to do something where they they didn't expect uh, a $500 million return from it, when it's going to be a smaller thing with a more narrow audience, Netflix is the perfect avenue to explore things like that. Yeah, imagine like an Iron Fist movie, they could probably pull off for, you know, probably like 10 million, maybe less, you know, because you don't have this huge bloated cast. Maybe you get a couple... Uh, you know, heavier hitters in just to, you know, give it some, you know, give it some pull and give it some, you know, outside, you know, get people drawn in from the outside that may not be familiar with the character. But, uh, you know, they, they've, they've done surprisingly well with a modest budget, at least for Daredevil. And from what we've seen to Jessica Jones, it looks like, uh, you know, kind of more of the same. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a proponent of not everything has to be a 250, you know, as, you, you know, into, into 2015 and 2016 you know, a 200, $250 million blockbuster extravaganza to be a really good, solid piece of storytelling. And so, um, you know, if they, if they can get away with that on the Netflix side, then so much the better. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, the next bit is, is interesting is that apparently Robert or uh, Matthew McConaughey has turned down, uh, I guess, one of the villain roles in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah, that's, I think, um, well... He's he's sort of been in, in talks or, or fans have been talking about him and interviewers have asked him about it, uh, about joining a Marvel movie, just like every other actor has been asked about joining a Marvel movie. Sure. Um, and and he's he sort of said, yeah, if the right part came along. I'd be interested. So I think um, if, if we knew what part he turned down, that would be interesting. That might uh, give us some clues as to the story or, or what direction Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Uh, interesting. Turn. Yeah, it'll be. I'll be curious to see how that that pans out because uh, I'm sure that would have been a nice little payday for Mr. McConaughey 
which would in you know kind of in I you know I see him as one of those guys that he likes to do the bigger you know bigger movies to earn the paycheck so he could turn around and do these small movies that you know he probably gets paid peanuts to do but just you know from from an artist from a craft and artistic standpoint he he enjoys doing yeah i i think so i think he uh you know he sort of made his name doing the the romantic comedies that was sort of his gig for a while and then the reconnaissance happened and now he's doing (laughs) these these you know oscar award-winning movies and and so yeah, I think he's he's past the point where he takes movies just for the paycheck. Right. Yeah. True. True. Uh, and the last little bit, I well, two, two bits, I guess, on the Guardians, uh, kind of piggybacking off of that, it looks like uh, French actress Palm Clementif uh, has been cast as an undisclosed role, and I think uh, Smart Money at this point is is on the fact that she's probably playing Mantis. Um, yeah, I think either. Uh, either the Hollywood Reporter or Deadline. So one of one of the two reported that it was Mantis. Um, so it's not confirmed, but I think it's in all likelihood it's going to be Mantis. Yeah, yeah. Deadline. It was Deadline. Deadline. Uh, yeah. So that'll be curious. I'm, I'm I'm sure as we get. I mean, we definitely still have some time. We're we're a year and a half out from you know Guardians Volume Two, so they're probably probably I would say five months away from probably the start of shooting, maybe four months. Um, so as, as, as shooting commences, we'll probably get more, more info out of that and things will solidify a little more. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and the last bit of news that we have, um, is that actor Michael Stuhlbarg is set to play, they're saying an undisclosed character in Dr. Strange, but again, another one of those kind of smart money is on him playing a character called Nicodemus West. And uh, Nicodemus West was introduced in the Brian K. Vaughn, Marcos Martin miniseries, comic miniseries, Doctor Strange, The Oath, which uh, we've talked about that on the show in the past, that if you haven't read Doctor Strange, The Oath, um, and you're you're somewhat interested in comics and, and would like a good taste of uh, of Doctor Strange without having to, to wade through, you know, 60 years of comic history to find, you know, what works. Uh, Doctor Strange: The Oath is a really good story for that. Uh, Brian K. Vaughn's an excellent writer. Uh, it's a very concise—I think it's four issues, five issue miniseries—and um, just tells kind of a nice, you know, beginning, middle, end story uh, without having to be really bogged down in a whole lot of continuity as far as Doctor Strange goes. So you can kind of read this just in a bubble and just enjoy it for for a good piece of writing in the art. Marcus Martin is a very, very good artist. It's a little. Uh, saying cartoony almost sounds like it's a dig, which it's it's definitely not meant to be. Um, but it has he's got a very clean art style. Uh, he he did a pretty good run on the Amazing Spider-Man recently f- with Dan Slott. So uh, you know, definitely worth checking it out. Comicsology runs that on on sale all the time. I mean, you could find that on a ninety nine cent sale quite often. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if it pops up again. Yeah, I haven't read the Oath. I'll have to check it out. Um... I've heard nothing but good things about it, and I was talking about it a little bit earlier today, and it's it's definitely you know going on my list of of a story that I need to read, especially now that we might uh, see little bits or or elements of that story popping up in the movie. Yeah, and it, it it's probably available on the Marvel Unlimited app. I'd be really surprised if you're a subscriber to Marvel Unlimited. I'd be I'd be really surprised if it didn't show up there. Um, and if you're not familiar with Michael Stahlberg, the, the best thing I can, I can, the, where I know him from the most is Boardwalk Empire. He played Hyman Roth, um, or Hyman Rothstein in, 
in Boardwalk Empire, and he's very, very good. Uh, he, his character had an interesting uh, arc throughout the uh, throughout the series, and uh, I, I enjoyed his performance very much. Yeah, I loved him on Boardwalk Empire. I've also, this, just in the past few months, I've seen him in a f- couple of things. He was in uh, Steve Jobs uh, and uh, Pond Sacrifice, with uh, Tobey Maguire, and oh, okay. I wasn't—I wasn't a big fan of Pawn Sacrifice, but he was great in it. Um, and then Steve Jobs, same thing. I—I I, I did enjoy Steve Jobs quite a bit, uh, but you know, he—he he was great. And anything he's in, he—he uh, he tends to make better. And I—I I think uh, Doctor Strange is—is is turning out to be one of, if not the best cast that Marvel's ever had, between Cumberbatch and. Uh, everyone else, Tilda Swinton and yeah. uh, Rachel McAdams, and now Twitch Elijah uh, Four, and yeah, that that's who I was forgetting, and um, oh, and Mads Mikkelsen, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, just, it, I I agree. Just really solid all around. Yeah, just you know, uh, actors and actresses known for just very good dramatic roles, like you know, solid acting. Uh, you know, whereas. You know, I guess the Avengers slates is it's not that they're poor actors. Uh, I I don't mean to make it sound that way, but I think they were a little more untested when you know when they got obviously not Robert Downey Jr. Um, and even Gwyneth Paltrow, but you know like guys like Chris Evans and and you know Tom Hiddleston and Chris Hemsworth and um, all you know, three they, of the Chris's. Yeah, all three of the Chris's. Yeah, I mean they they you know didn't have a very a wide breadth of work you know prior to. Uh, uh, you know, try to to jump it onto that franchise. So uh, it's interesting to to pack a movie with with actors of this caliber. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Marvel tends to um, you know cast an un- or a relative unknown usually in the lead with uh, some some bigger names supporting them. But here, it just with with Cumberbatch leading, it just seems to be big names all around, or at least uh, known names all around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that's pretty much all the news that I had. Uh, you know, like I said, the focus for today is going to be to try and get us caught up on season three of Agents of Shield, uh, which uh, I am uh, I'm excited to to get back on. Um, and the ratings have been pretty good. It it had a really big jump. I was just kind of at least the season three premiere. The the initial ratings weren't that great, but it had a point nine jump. Uh, on the L plus threes, which that's good news because the advertisers still look at L plus three uh, favorably as opposed to L plus seven. I mean, the big thing with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the past was the L plus sevens were very, very good, which advertisers typically don't care about. Uh, but places like Netflix, Amazon, you know, anybody com- competing look uh, at things like that because it shows kind of interest and engagement in the show. Uh, so I think um, after the of uh, the point nine, I think it was right at two point nine. I think was the the premiere rating, and I haven't seen much on the rating since. To be honest with you, I haven't uh, put a lot of focus on it. Uh, but it's good to see that we had a bit of an uptick, like I said, at least in the L plus threes. Uh, and and this season, I think on the whole, has been uh, we talked about a little bit before, a little bit last week too. But I think it's finally found its footing. I think it's finally becoming its own thing. Uh, and and as the season has gone on, it's it's been it's been much better. And I think. When we get to episode five, at least from my opinion, I think we'll have a lot of uh, it'll be a, pr- a praise fest. I think when we get to episode five, yeah, I think so. Oh, ratings wise, oh two point six. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was a two point six on the L plus threes, uh, so it it put it as the number one 
uh, scripted show in the time slot for adults 18 to 49 with the L plus three. So again, a good sign, a good sign for the show. Yeah. I've noticed uh, even last season or, or when its ratings weren't, weren't doing quite so well, it was still holding its own in its time slot. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been consistently second in its time slot after uh, NCIS, which I don't know anybody who watches it, but it's always, you know, the winner of its time slot. So nothing's taking that down, I guess. Right. Yeah, we, we've we speculated in the past. I wonder if they picked that slot purposely just so it's like, well, you're going against the highest rated show on TV. Well, now they've moved it to, to 9 o'clock Eastern, so it's up against NCIS New Orleans, but again, still a very high, highly rated show. Um, you know, it, it, it has a strong first to play second to, but uh, but I think overall, I think Marvel Disney, I think the ABC, I think they're happy with with uh, with the ratings. Obviously, they wouldn't have they wouldn't keep renewing it. I, I think if it was if it was terrible, terrible, uh, you know, we've talked about it at, at times to say it's it, Agents of Shield could kind of sort of be a lost leader for the network just to kind of keep the brand out there and active. Sure. Um, yeah. But it doesn't look like that's that's the case because there are a ton of shows that are doing way worse than <laughs> Agents of Shield uh, on the networks. Yeah, I think I think the only the only light that Agents of Shield is a disappointment is when you compare it to what you'd expect from the rest of the MCU. Yeah, and I I think even, you know, there's a lot of comparison to the ratings that like Gotham gets or, you know, recently Supergirl scored very very high ratings. I mean, it's the number 1 debut drama of the of the season so far. The, its ratings were very high. I think 3.1 uh for for the premiere or something like that. And um you know, I mean, even, you know, it's compared a lot to, you know, Flash and Arrow and things like that. So I, I, you know, given what it has behind it, I think sometimes people are baffled by the fact that it just doesn't have, you know, that it's not, you know, setting the world on fire like the movies do. Right. Uh, but we start off with uh, season three, episode one, Laws of Nature. Uh, and again, like we said, it, it kind of starts off uh, with a bang. I mean, uh, remembering at the end of last season, uh, the shield crew kind of went up against the inhuman uh inhuman you know village we got the secrets of uh you know sky uh aka daisy johnson's origins uh and the terrigen mists uh the the crystals that carry the terrigen mists inside were knocked into the to the water uh and uh, fish had eaten it and or tuna specifically um or i guess fish because it was it was it was set up in fish oil uh, to be distributed, and um, and that's where we take up season three, where some six six ish months have passed, um, and the crew is is pretty much just working as a team to go after these Inhumans and to to kind of pull them together for a squad uh, of of their own. So they basically have their own team of Inhumans uh, to combat uh, the evils of the world. They're still after Ward. Uh, and as they're, they're they find out in this episode, there is a another government agency that they've kind of been tracking, uh, and that has kind of been tracking them. Yeah, um, I I thought it was a really really strong premiere for the episode, um, especially that opening action set piece when they uh, when when uh, Joey I think his name is Joey yes Gutierrez. Joey Gutierrez yes is uh you know he's he's freaking out over his newfound powers and we get our first look at the ATCU and uh then Daisy comes in and and they call in the uh the Wonkavator 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> the, yes. The great glass elevator. <laughs> yes. And, and, and no, I, I just thought that was that opening sequence was such a strong way to start the season and really give us a clear direction as to, you know, where this is going to go. And it was shot well, too. I mean, just the fact that we get the open, we get the pan over from, you know, like something bad happening in this guy's apartment to going out the window and we see these helicopters coming in and we see the smoke coming up and, you know, the guy's freaking out. I, I just thought it was a well, it was a well cut. It was very, to me, it was, it, it seemed somewhat cinematic. I mean, it was, yeah, we're not used to kind of getting that, that type of filming, uh, you know, from, from, from the show. I mean, it definitely has its moments where you get really well directed action or you get well directed drama. Uh, but this was a kind of a really cool open to kind of, to kind of pan out into the, uh, you know, in, into the action. And then, you know, we get, we get everything from kind of Joey's uh, perspective, which is kind of cool because it, he kind of becomes our, at least for the first act, he becomes like our point of view character as to what's been going on in this universe since we last left at the end of season two. Um, and just to see, you know, the guys flying down the street and the car flying down the street. And we see, uh, you know, Daisy walking with her arm, you know, stretched out. And, you know, of course we get the obligatory slow-mo, uh, hair blow uh, <laughs> when she uses her powers. Yeah, she's she's clearly come a long way in the six months or however many months it's been since uh, the season two finale uh, in terms of controlling her powers and, and embracing her role as an inhuman and a leader. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny. Daisy's journey in the show, I feel, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but kind of parallels, in my opinion, uh, Chloe Bennett's uh, journey as an actress yeah you know, I, I i really feel like the two of those you know that it, it's something relatable that that they continue to improve um and and do a good job of of developing her as an actress and 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 daisy johnson as a character yeah i think i think you said last week that the writers are figuring out how to write the character just as you know chloe then it's figuring out how to play her as well and it's to 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 great positive effect yeah yeah i agree um one of the key things too i think everybody was worried about or a question from season two was like okay well the terrigen went into the ocean and if the you know when you touch the 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 obelisk you basically if you weren't inhuman you'd be turned to dust and so they kind of nipped that in the bud with oh well basically when it fell into the water Either the, the you know the the crystals basically dissolved in the water and the metal just fell to the bottom of the right the metal the metal sank to the bottom and the the terrigen or whatever the, the crystal part of it is what the fish actually ate or, right. or what affected the fish right right which I that's kind of what my speculation was you know at the end of season two that the you know basically there's the the bad parts. Uh, the 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 terrigen parts dissolved and the and the bad parts just kind of went away so. Yeah, if every non-inhuman who came into contact with that fish oil was dying, it would be a much, you know, yes. much bigger, much bigger problem than a few dozen new inhumans. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and it's funny. So we, you know, obviously last season uh, Bobby's knee was broken, uh, and you know she she is going through some rehab, uh, you know, thanks to Ward, which has kind of set Hunter off, uh, you know, on a, you know on a mission uh, that we'll get to a little later. Um, you know, but so while Bobby's doing the recovery, she's kind of become the de facto Simmons, which, uh, I think is funny in the, in the comics, they've, 
they've uh, they did a stint and I forgot about this but I was talking to um one of my podcasting buddies Daryl Taylor and he kind of brought it up to me uh you know that that Bobby has been a scientist in the comics and it was kind of a short thing that they they alluded to and they really don't go back to it too much but it was kind of funny that Coulson was like well boy it's sure good that that biology degree you have is coming into <laughs> use it was almost like it was so like wink wink nod nod yeah we know she's a badass but uh we got to come up with some reason you know that she's able to do all this stuff in the lab uh, I I just thought it was kind of funny Yeah yeah me too it was it was it was a funny moment and it was a nice I guess it was a nice callback to the comics but mostly I don't I I'm ready for for Mockingbird to get back in the field I yeah totally totally agree, um, and, and the the other thing is we see that Fitz is kind of uh, a badass. Yeah, I I I think it's safe to say that he's recovered from his hypoxia, like his brain injury that uh, that really crippled him a lot in season two. That he's uh, either he, you know healed from it or. I wouldn't say 100%, but I would say like he's like 90% of the fits that that he was um which which again, you know, some people may think is a little um a bit of a stretch, but uh the brain is an amazing organ and uh it it will a lot of times find its way uh find its way back uh despite the odds. So, I I'm I'm okay with that. I th- I think it's it's good to see him grow past uh, you know how he was in season two, but yet you still kind of get these these twinges here and there of the fact that he's not one hundred percent. Yeah, he's still very much changed from the experience, and uh, I think episode three or four he mentions to Bobby, you know, how much rehab helped him and how it'll help her too. Yeah. Um, but another thing that I think might play into it is that in in season two, even when he was still pretty badly affected when he was focusing on something or when he had to get a job done, he could sort of focus through the, the worst parts of the, uh, the brain damage. And I think he's so focused on finding Simmons for the first episode or two episodes that I think even if it was still affecting him, we might not have seen it quite as much. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, it's, and it's funny too, cause like Bobby is covering for him, you know, because she knows what he's going through. And Colson is kind of preoccupied with getting, you know, Daisy and her mission going. So he, he kind of sort of has a clue that Fitz has got something going on, but isn't really pressing it. And with Bobby covering him for him, uh, you know, he's, he's willing to, I guess, let it go. Um, but yeah, that whole sequence of him in Morocco, I thought was really, really well done. I, I kind of like, you know, it's like he's badass, but not, not like too over the top to where it's like not believably badass. Right. Right. Um, He's you're not laughing at it. Exactly. Yes. I mean, he did the whole trick with the suitcase, which I thought was, was brilliant. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of expected something like that was going to happen, but, but it was pretty cool. Um, but you never knew like, I, you know, part of me was like, well, I thought maybe he had like a couple of the seven dwarfs or something like that. in there, like his little, um, Oh right, yeah. You, you know, he was going to, you know, give up give that up or something like that, but um but yeah, it was a cool it was a cool ruse and then for him to get out of it I thought was pretty interesting. But but again, not unscathed. I mean, he got somebody killed, you know, doing what he was doing. So, uh again, consequences for for Fitz. Uh Yeah, absolutely. Um and 
but I almost think that he wasn't, I don't, I don't even know if those consequences registered with him because he was so singularly focused on finding Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it'll be interesting because, you know, when he, when he really needed Simmons, that's when she left. She, in, in season two, at the beginning of season two, when she, uh, yeah. took the assignment to go undercover with Hydra. Yeah. Um, and you know, when she needed him for six months, he never gave up and, he sort of said, forget the consequences. I'm going to do whatever it takes and never give up and find her. So it, uh, I think it's an interesting wrinkle in the Fitzsimmons relationship. And I wonder if uh, it'll be acknowledged or, or you know, if, if there will be any reference to it uh, moving forward as Fitz is just constantly there for Simmons. And I don't know that we can necessarily say the same the other way around yet. Yeah, that's going to be something that is going to make it for an interesting development as the season moves forward for sure, as we will get to in a bit here. Uh, so the, they kind of introduce like the new big bad for the season, which is we don't really see him uh, too much, uh, but but it, it's Lash, who is this kind of... I don't know if you're familiar enough with the comics. There's a, I mean, Lash is a, is a character that's recently appeared in the comics. Um, but there was a, the villain named Penance that was a part of generation X, like an, an X-Men character from way back, uh, in the early nineties, which kind of has the spiky, uh, you know, uh, things with the hair. I mean, much different character, but just, I don't know. Every time I see Lash, it kind of reminds me of that look, uh, but he, but he's kind of become like the inhuman to beat all inhumans, uh, and and the crew goes back to find Lincoln uh, to to get to get some help from him, and he's kind of I can't tell if he's just like some sort of tech or if he's a doctor or uh, or what was going on with Lincoln, but he's he's obviously put that life behind him in the past six months, got himself a sweet gig in the hospital, and is pretty much just happy to help folks and live his own life until. Uh, until Daisy and and um, and Max show up. Yeah, I I'm not. You know, I we we still five episodes in still don't know much about Lasher's motivations, but uh, uh, the action that we've seen with him looks pretty cool. His uh, his ability to I guess project energy and tear holes in walls and people's chests kind of yeah. it's it's pretty cool, and he definitely looks intimidating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, physically, he's built. You know, he's he's got a very solid build, tall, uh, and the spiky things out of his hair and back definitely add to that. Um, but that was a pretty cool sequence. You know, we got to see, um, you know, Lincoln and Daisy kind of, uh, you know, do- try and double team him uh, to get to get past him. To practically no effect. Yeah, to, yeah. He basically, you know, just kind of pushed him back a little bit, but but didn't really do much, uh, you know, physical physical harm to him, or doesn't or doesn't seem to be to to have done that. Um, and then we got a returning character. I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but President Ellis gives a, a press conference uh, and then talks about you know the events of New York, London, Kosovo, and then talks about Shield crashing carriers into the into the Potomac so we get hints of Winter Soldier and you know is pretty much publicly announced that he's formed this ACTU or ATCU uh, to help 
you know deal with this issue uh, because of you know recent events we we can't uh, we can't just sit idly by. Which again, some people have kind of alluded to maybe the beginnings of what we'll see as far as registration goes in Civil War. You know, maybe maybe not. Um, yeah, um, I thought it was an interesting glimpse into the the public perspective of what's going on in the MCU. Um, I kind of wrote about this in my breakdown of that episode that we always tend to see things from the perspective of, you know, whoever these things are happening to. If Sokovia, we saw from the Avengers perspective, the events at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. we see from S.H.I.E.L.D.'s perspective. We don't really know how the average citizen feels about the kind of stuff that's going on in the in the MCU. So to see the president addressing the nation about alien threats and and just looking at you know what he said and and what he didn't say and what sort of like he 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 never mentioned inhumans he never he he was denying the idea that there is some sort of inhuman plague um he just said the ATCU was kind of in response to Sokovia and and New York and all that stuff but um it it's just interesting to get a glimpse into what the public knows and doesn't know about the behind the scenes goings on of the, uh, the MCU. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you mentioned that because one of the, one of the things not to detour too much, but uh, has been rumored as a damage control, like half hour comedy, almost kind of like the office style uh, series, which would be kind of funny. Cause that, that's definitely like the everyman perspective on the crew that comes in to clean up after uh, all of this destruction and devastation. So yeah, yeah, I I love to see that. Yes, yes. Whether it whether it happens or not, uh, hard to say. But I think I think that would be, I think that would be something that could that could uh, uh, that could kind of bridge the gap. You know, sitcoms are kind of on the wane. Uh, you know, probably in the last I'd say you know six to six to eight years, sitcoms have kind of been on the wane. Uh, so it, it it might be kind of an interesting way to bridge the gap between like sitcom and genre show. So. Um, but yeah, my, my guess is we'll see a lot more of, of that kind of stuff. Um, and, and then kind of wrapping up the, ep- this episode, uh, Coulson kind of has a heart to heart with Fitz and basically says, uh, you know, Hey, we have to tell you, you have to come to terms with the fact that Simmons is gone. We've explored every Avenue. We've looked at every, everything. Um, y- you know, you have to, y- we have to tell her parents that she's gone and, we have to, you know, maybe not completely give up, but, you know, we, we owe her parents that they, they deserve to know, you know, what happened to her. Um, and this comes to light after the object fits received that he thought was going to be the answer to what happened to her and how to get her back was just a scroll written in ancient Hebrew that said death. Um, so Fitz, uh, I, I, he, I think he agrees with Colson and is like, yes, you're right, but also, you know, I'm not satisfied with that. And so, pretty cool, he grabs a shotgun, heads off into the containment area, uh, blasts open the lock, blasts, blasts open like a metal retaining ring to keep the door shut. And in probably the best performance of yeah. Yeah. his career on this show, just loses it in front of the obelisk and just starts pounding on it and just screaming and hollering, you know, just like he doesn't understand, you know, almost like he wants this thing to take him. So if nothing else, he would know what happened to her and be able to, you know, I think part of it is he feels like if I could get on the other side of that and Simmons and I were together, we would find a way to get back. Um, 
and so the episode just kind of leaves us on that uh on that moment of of Fitz just in utter desperation just 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 completely losing it yeah and and that was the first of really every single episode this season he has had a standout moment uh well except for uh the most recent episode with with just Simmons but I sure. mean he he has had a standout moment he's just an incredible actor and and he's really gotten a chance to showcase that this season I agree uh so that's episode one, uh, Laws of Nature. Is there anything else that you... Uh, oh, one one quick thing we find out in this episode as well is that uh, Rosalind Pierce or uh, Price knows about Tahiti uh, when her and uh, Coulson and Hunter are kind of having their little exchange on the subway uh, train. Uh, she says, you know, he Coulson says something to her and he, she says, yeah, I've heard about the same about Tahiti. I've heard it's a magical place. So she... She's not just some, uh, you know, newcomer to this game. She's been in this game for a while and knows what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we talked about it last week. I love her character. I can't wait to see what what she does later on in the season. Um, and then, oh, and then in the the coda to the the episode, we did find out where exactly Simmons was, which yes. obviously we'll talk about more in this for the next episode, but. Uh, we, you know, that had been a speculation that had been going on since May or whenever season two ended. And we finally found out that she's on an alien planet. Yeah. That was a cool reveal when she kind of looks behind that rock and you see well, Hey, everything is blue, but you know, at, at first glance, it's like, okay, was this dusk somewhere maybe? And then you see this, you know, moon with like rings, right? You know, you see multiple bodies of, uh, bodies in the sky, <laughs> which tells you, you know, she is definitely not in Kansas or anywhere in our solar system. Right. Yeah. Uh, so episode, episode two is uh, purpose in the machine. And uh, we see in this episode the return of Peter McNichol as Dr. Randolph, uh, which I thought was cool. Anytime they can kind of bring in, you know, Asgardians or, you know, these other characters that uh, that have some uh, some history with the MCU is, is always kind of nice. Uh, but it, this one was interesting. You know, we've had some flashbacks before. Uh, last season, we had a couple that flashback to, you know, during the war. Or shortly there, you know, thereafter, with you know when Peggy Carter even showed up, and they were going after, uh, um, what's his name, uh, Daniel uh, Whitehall, and uh, and you know getting the the object for the first time way back in the at the close of of World War Two, uh, but this time we go back to Gloucester. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, in 1839, and we get, uh, you know, that that people have known about this obelisk that sucked up Simmons for quite some time. Uh, and this, this secret society or group or whatever it is, uh, you know, kind of has these rituals and it's almost like they just, uh, every so often they have to pick somebody to sacrifice to this thing, uh, either to try and figure it out or to, uh, keep it at bay or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, a lot of it's just, you know, not obviously not understanding of what the thing is. Yeah. The episode, I mean, it, it, focus pretty heavily on that storyline and i thought that was a really great way to to introduce it uh with with the flashback um and i think except for some of the scenes in thor and thor the dark world that is the uh the earliest scene we've gotten in the mcu uh again other than you know the scene 
millions of years ago at the beginning of the Dark World and sure. however many thousands of years ago uh, at the beginning of the first Thor. But other than that, it's it's all been, uh, you know, in at least somewhere in the 20th century, early 20th century. Uh, so this is kind of the earliest we've uh, seen anything in the MCU. And I just kind of thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. It took me aback at first because I was like, wow, I didn't expect... Uh, you know them to go back that far and how they were kind of intertwine this in there. And then, of course, having having, you know, Dr. Randolph as the kind of bridge character, you know, because he's been wandering around the earth for at least a couple few hundred years. Uh, and, you know, part of these rituals and just, you know, looking for ways to, you know, make sure that, um, you know, he's not found out or, you know, uh, you know, going to get sucked back to where, he, you know, to where he came to Asgard. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, um, I loved seeing him again. I thought it was just a little bit contrived to have him come back uh, and and just happen to know so much about anything portal related. Yeah, but it was, uh, it was yeah, interesting I, the condition they found him in too because he's in jail, <laughs> and I guess it and not seeming to mind. Yeah, I guess since we saw him last and things have kind of deteriorated in the world, he feels a little vulnerable. Uh, and is sowing his oats a little bit and just figured, you know, okay, the best thing for me is to probably just be uh, put away somewhere until this all kind of blows over and I can just kind of go about my business. And meanwhile, I'll just read and, and hang out. Uh, I, I thought that was kind of interesting because he, you know, he, he, you know, he, he, he was sort of a prestigious individual uh, when we saw him last season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I completely forgot that he was a, a professor last time we saw him. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of funny. Uh, the other thing we get Blair, Blair Underwood uh, back and I, I really like the scene. So there's, there's kind of this scene with him and, uh, and Daisy where, you know, Daisy's trying to convince him to let Joey Gutierrez, who was the, the inhuman they found at the beginning of episode one, Onto the team. She's kind of desperate at this point to have another inhuman on her team, which is kind of the point of what she was trying to do is build this team of people that uh, can use their powers for good and give them give them a leg up. And so far, it turns out that Andrew has pretty much kicked back everyone that she's put forward uh, to to be on the team. He's found a reason for all of them. And she sees something in Joey Gutierrez that uh, that has some potential, even though he's highly dangerous and and somewhat unstable she feels like you know she can kind of relate to him and and bring him in the fold and uh and and andrew even even says you know the the, sec- the these band of secret warriors that you're building which again we've you know we've been talking about the whole secret warriors thing for a long time so it was just kind of like one of those little um you know, for ninety percent of everybody that doesn't know anything about the comics, was like, okay, whatever. Uh, you know, probably didn't even give it a second thought. But for the comic enthusiasts of of us out there, that was kind of one of those uh, smile on your face and a little fist pump movement, or you know, when he said that. So, yeah, um, and and at the time, I was I was kind of on uh, on Garner's side that you know you didn't want to rush things, but now I'm kind of on Daisy's side. Uh, all the all the promo for the season three was about the secret warriors. And we really haven't seen many secret warriors so far. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, Joey Gutierrez, we saw in the first episode and haven't seen at all since. Um, so obviously, you know, the show has a lot of other storylines to worry about. And for the most part, it's, it's balancing them pretty well. But, uh, 
uh, he, he Garner warns her that uh, he says that Coulson's desperate to win on all fronts and desperation leads to mistakes yeah. and sort of suggests that Daisy might be getting desperate to to start this team as well. And, you know, I agree with that. And I, I don't think Guti, uh, Joey is in any condition to to get in the field yet. But at the same time, it's like, well, let's start seeing somebody, you know? Yeah, it's like you get, I think her point is more like you can't kick everybody back. At some point, you're going to have to trust that we know, you know, just like you know what you're doing. We know what we're doing. And, you know, we will be a positive influence on these people and, and get them to do to do something positive with their lives to put them on the right track. Uh, so it was just kind of it was just an interesting conversation that the two of them have. And, you know, he he gave her pretty high praise and said, you know, you're you're becoming a leader. You know, you're becoming, you know, more than just the the green rookie on this team that, you know, you're being put in charge of this little group. I mean, even Mac kind of recognizes the fact that she's, uh, you know, she's kind of in charge, even though obviously he has way more experience than she does and seems to be OK for the most part with it. Um you know, I mean, obviously he he voices his opinions very strongly, which I think I think everyone on the team appreciates. Uh, but uh, you know, I I just I don't know. I just thought that was a really a really nice scene that they had together to kind of um, give both perspectives, and then obviously throw in the bit about Coulson in there, to kind of uh, you know set the stage for how, you know what everybody thinks is going on with Coulson. Yeah, I agree. Garner, I think, has been a really welcome presence in this season so far and yeah. hopefully continues to be, although I guess we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, meanwhile, while this is going on, we keep cutting back to uh, Fitz and Randolph doing research on the stone. They He leads them to the to the place. Uh, I guess it was that. I, I can't remember. Was that also in Gloucester? Was it the place that we saw in the beginning of the episode? I, I guess I believe that it was. But yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure. So of course they find a hidden chamber. Of course, which you're going to do in a in an old, uh, you know, seventeenth, eighteenth century castle. There's always got to be some sort of uh, hidden room, uh, and you know they find all of this almost like Frankenstein era equipment. You know, with crazy dials and handles and pulleys and and things like that. Um, and when, when they turn this machine on, uh, Daisy starts to get really affected by it. She, you know, her nose starts to bleed. She's covering her ears. It's like this high pitch noise. Uh, and she doesn't quite know what's going on uh, and nobody else seems to be affected by it. Um, and it's at that point they kind of figure out that what they need to do is, you know, put the stone down in there, turn the machine on and Daisy can hit the right vibration. And they're pretty sure they could go. Uh, through the portal and uh, Fitz can go and get Simmons back. And, and that's pretty much what they do. I mean, they, you know, to great, you know, personal peril to Daisy, uh, she's able to, uh, you know, to, to kind of hold things together. And the rest of the team is physically trying to hold this scaffolding and everything in place that Fitz is uh, tethered to. Uh, and he's able to, uh, to bring Simmons back, uh, pull her back through, uh, the portal and in the process afterwards, uh, either the, I assume it's the vibration, uh, it, it shatters the obelisk. So it basically is a bunch of, uh, they feel inert pieces, uh, at the end of it. And, and of course Simmons is back. Yeah. I thought that whole, that, that last scene was great. It really used everybody on the team really, really well. 
and Fitz just jumping in there because he knew that this was going to be his only chance. So he couldn't just throw a probe in there and hope for the best. He right. had to get in there himself, and 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 uh, that was what saved Simmons. So once again, Fitz just proving that he is a hero that will do anything to uh, to get her back. Yeah. Yeah, and I was surprised actually. You know, when I when we got to the end of season two and we saw Simmons was gone, and then we get back to to the first episode of season of season three, and you know we kind of get the first glimpse of where she's at. I honestly thought it was going to be quite some time before we would actually see her back. Like, I didn't I didn't expect them to rescue her in episode two. Uh, so that was kind of a, a surprise for me. Yeah, me too. I I thought they would. You know, that would be the big halfway through the season. That would be the big get is that they'd get Simmons back and they'd throughout the season, they might cut to the alien planet and show how she's surviving. Um, but yeah, the fact that they got her back so early, uh, that kind of was the first hint to me that uh, there was more going on to the planet than just the fact that Simmons was there. There, there was going to be another important story on that planet. And of course, now we know what that is. Uh, with Will and and getting him back. Right, right. Uh, Then we find out that Ward is on the trail. Obviously, he needs some money. Uh, You know, restarting Hydra as the evil organization that either wants to take over the world or to crush what's left of S.H.I.E.L.D. takes some money, uh, and he doesn't really have any. So uh, he recruits Werner Von Strucker, which I, I thought was pretty clever because at first I was like, well, he's going after this rich kid and, you know, what's his deal? And and then when they reveal it's it's Baron Von Strucker's uh, son, I, I thought that was really genius as a way to kind of, uh, you know, again, tie things in from the movie universe uh, or the, not the movie universe, but from the movies uh, into the show without being so overt with it. Like, you know, I, I just I just thought that was kind of cool to. You know, he's bringing Von Strucker back into the Hydra fold uh, and, and, you know, with all these resources and kind of has a test for him, you know, the whole trying to get him to give up his passwords. And then he ends up, you know, kind of freeing himself. And, you know, Ward feels at that point, OK, this kid, not only is he going to have the financial means, but he's going to have the right temperament and the right set of skills to be a valued member of Hydra to kind of help with its resurgence. Yeah, definitely. I also I really like the parallels between Ward and Daisy in this episode in that they're both looking for a place to belong and becoming leaders of sort of a team of people who don't necessarily belong anywhere else. And of course, they're doing that in very, very different ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Ward is uh, Ward and Ward's a little more forceful in in his methods. <laughs> sure, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the other big thing we got in this episode was what's been going on with May since she left, uh, and it turns out she's gone to visit her dad. Her dad was in a car accident, broke his hip, uh, and so she's she's going to take care of him and make sure he recovers. And Hunter finally tracks her down because he needs he basically needs somebody to help. And somebody with an axe to grind with Ward just as much as he does. And 
we kind of get to the, you know, Ward kind of plants it in her head. Well, he brings it up, but I think it's a thought that was there that maybe the accident her dad had, even though she said it was an accident, maybe it wasn't an accident. Um, and that I think part of the reason she's there is to make sure that he's okay. Um, but it was, it was again, you know, we talked about this last week too. Getting to see May as more than just the Calvary, I think was, was a really, really wise choice. Uh, I I think Mingana Wen is a fantastic actress, and I think giving her more to do and kind of opening her up, you know, we see her smile, we see her having, you know, talking about her her childhood and things like that with her dad. Uh, I I just think that helps, you know, grow her character that we've seen uh, from the you know the stoic soldier in season one, episode one, to here we are in season three, and we're starting to kind of get to know Melinda May a little more than we did. Yeah, for sure. And and the pairing of Hunter and May is absolutely genius. It's yes. brilliant. And uh, you know, it's it's sort of set up in this episode. We get a little bit of the uh the banter and the the dialogue between them and then we get even more of it next episode, but I I love the two of them as a pair. And and James Hong playing her father, uh I thought was awesome. I loved I mean anytime you see James Hong in something he I, I just I love him as an actor, um, you know, mo- for me, most famously uh, as uh, Lopan in Big Trouble in Little China. But I mean, he's been in a thousand movies probably. Uh, and I just I just thought it was very subdued for him. He usually kind of plays over the top characters or, uh, you know, very uh, uh, boisterous, uh, you know, characters. And so this was a little more subdued, but still that uh that bit of james hong if you know if if you know of him as an actor that uh, that he portrays in, in a lot of his characters yeah he, yeah i almost felt a little bad for him a lot in this episode because we saw may's mother last season and of course we know what may is like and they're very similar and then so you kind of expect her dad to be somewhat in the same mold and just to see him as this quiet golf loving kind old man and and think about the two women that he had to uh i don't want to say had to live with but the the two women that he lived with for however many years uh (laughs) you almost feel bad for him a little bit yeah yeah i mean there's that scene where she's cutting the vegetables and she's just like making quick work of whatever it was and and he says oh you cut like your mother he said i think i think she did <laughs> yeah. that to to keep me in line or to you know basically to know that um you know she wouldn't hesitate to slice him up you know and then you know when it turns out that hunter is coming to the door we see that figure go back to the window and then she's like are you expecting company and you know she's all on guard and he's like nope but i wouldn't treat it as unwelcome either you know basically like she needs to kind of chill out a little bit um cuz he's so laid back about stuff and then and then it turns out it's hunter but uh but so yeah that was a, that was a lot of fun but yeah like you said the the may and hunter uh escapade in season 3 is is definitely a highlight uh a highlight of the season for me for for okay. several reasons so that's episode 2 uh anything else that you want to that that I didn't uh, cover that you want to talk about with uh episode 2 no i think we hit the big points So episode three is titled A Wanted Inhuman. Uh, and so for this one, it's mainly, I mean, the, the, the two, I guess the, the, the A and B story for this is, um, 
you know, at this point, Lincoln's kind of in danger. He calls, he actually reaches out to Daisy because he's, he's in trouble. Uh, and so Mac and Daisy kind of try and get, get after Lincoln to keep him safe. Uh, and then the other side is, uh, Hunter and May, where Hunter is trying to infiltrate Ward's organization. And he goes back to an old friend, uh, the Hunter does that he knows, uh, meets in a bar who has a lead on a guy that may know a guy kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, so they show up, basically Hunter has to fight his way in, uh, to this organization. That's how, uh, that's how he's going to prove himself other than the fact that he has weapons for sale. Uh, or he, that's, you know, his, his in is he's got weapons for sale, um, and he has to prove himself. So he ends up basically in a, in, in some kind of like a backdoor, uh, you know, bare knuckle boxing ring. And, uh, so they show up at the bar and it's, it's Hunter and then May shows up and May is in like the most awesome eighties, uh, uh, hairband, uh, you know, outfit you could possibly imagine. I mean, she's got like makeup on, she's got like a ripped crop t-shirt. She's got her hair kind of teased up. It was just, it was really hilarious. Uh, it, it kind of like the complete opposite of in season two, when her and Colson show up to the uh, to that gig and she's got the red, you know, the dress on and she's dressed to the nines uh, and they start dancing. This is kind of like the opposite of that. She's like as casual as casual can be. But again, it's just kind of funny seeing May with, you know, like the 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 80s style, uh, you know, almost punk rock makeup on and, and clothing get up. And so she kind of is watching, uh, you know, Hunter to make sure and if if things really go south that uh, that she can kind of help out. Yeah. Um and Spud, uh, Hunter's Hunter's contact in the bar that they meet up with, um, I thought I thought he was a great great addition to to that dynamic as well. And uh, the scene where he and um, and Hunter are getting drunk together and and talking, and they're so unintelligible that it needs subtitles to understand the story that they're telling. Yes, that was hilarious. That reminded me. I started laughing so hard because that reminds me. Have you ever have you ever seen the movie Snatch? Uh, no, I. Oh yes, yeah, yes, I have with uh, with Brad Pitt. Brad right? Pitt, yeah, and uh, Jason Statham, and you know uh, a thousand other uh, famous actors at this point. Uh, Lenny James, fantastic movie. Um, Guy Ritchie directed. If you have a chance, definitely watch it. It's it's a fantastic movie. Um, but I bought the DVD way back, you know, when the DVD first came out and I was hitting on my remote. I don't know how, I think it was an accident. I hit the subtitle button and, uh, so I hit the subtitle button and said English and I hit it again and it was like Spanish. And then, you, you know, cause the only way to turn it off was like to cycle through them all again. And right. so we're cycling through and it's like French, Spanish, German, and you keep going. And there's an like number nine was English again. And I'm like why are there two English subtitle tracks on here? That's so bizarre. And it didn't do anything. Like I hit it on English subtitles and, and like nothing happened. So I left it there for a minute. And when Brad Pitt's character starts talking, they subtitle what he's saying. Uh, <laughs> it's basically what they call pikey subtitles. And I, I lost it. Like I was laughing so hard. I had tears coming to my eyes. Cause it's just, it was so bizarre uh, to, to watch this movie. Cause it's like, you think you know what he's saying, but you're not sure you know what he's saying. 
Um, so when they did that in this episode, I don't know if somebody is a fan of snatch and, and came across the same thing or, uh, if it was just intended to be that way, but yeah, that was, <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that, that whole episode. Uh, I love the, the, uh, that, that, that scene with, with them in the bar. Yeah. And then the guy's coming on to May and she's not having of it and, you know, they're they're trying to be a little more forceful and she has to teach him a lesson, which is easy for May to do. Uh was you know, again, May being May, which I love I love whenever May kicks ass. It's always fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then Hunter, like I mean, Hunter gets his butt handed to him. I mean, he is beat. I mean, he this is definitely a no holds barred bare knuckle boxing match. And he ends up in the end, you know, killing not intentionally you know he meant to just put him down but he ends up killing uh you know his best buddy in 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 this fight or not his best buddy but but his his buddy that uh uh that kind of got him in and it, again it kind of shows you know and may was kind of questioning what he was doing because it you know, it's the whole thing for for hunter is what happened with bobby he has got to get his revenge on ward for what he did to bobby um, you know, even though Bobby, you know, and him were married and divorced and they fight and bicker and argue, he still loves Bobby. Bobby still loves him. And the fact that, you know, this woman he loves was, you know, damn near killed by, you know, crazy, insane Ward. He's on a mission. And I think May is trying to say, look, you're losing yourself in your mission. Like you're, you're so focused that you're not, you're not paying attention to what you're doing. You know, you need to you know, take a step back and realize, you know, is, is this all worth it? Like is getting your revenge and finding Ward, you know, is it worth losing yourself in doing it? And and at this point, I think even though Hunter kind of has that moment of, of clarity where he realizes what he's done, it doesn't, it doesn't stop him. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, we've mentioned it a couple times so far, the common thread between the characters this season seems to be, uh, achieving a goal no matter what the consequences are. Uh, with Hunter and his his drive for revenge against Ward, or Fitz trying to get Simmons back, or Coulson just trying to keep S.H.I.E.L.D. together and try and stay ahead of whatever this new threat is. Um, the, you know, when, when Dr. Garner said uh, that, that Coulson was desperate, I think you could make the same statement about just about anybody on the team. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of pairings. It's funny. One of the things I have in my notes is there's a lot of pairings this season. Um, you know, we get Hunter and May. We get Coulson and uh, Rosalind Price. You know, they're kind of like a pairing. Uh, you know, the similarities between those two are are kind of funny. Uh, a lot of like maybe hidden, uh, you know, a lot, maybe some some sexual tension that's kind of uh, bubbling up from, at you know, at different times. Um, we get Fitz and Bobby, we get, uh, Daisy and Mac, uh, you know, there's just a lot of these, you know, pairings of, of characters that we see this season, which I, you know, I, you know, there's, there's always been like the Fitzsimmons. I mean, that's always been a, you know, a big thing, but I, I just don't recall like these, you know, kind of discrete pairings that we've gotten from, from the team, uh, this season so far. Yeah, and they all work, which I think speaks to how how far the characters have become and how well pretty much all of them are written. Um, any 
any pairing of characters works just just about perfectly. Um, and, you know, one of my favorite comedies on right now is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and they sort of have the same thing. Any pairing of any two or three characters, um, I'm not sure if you watch the show, but... No, no. There, there's not a bad pairing on the show. No matter which actors you put in a scene together, it's going to be hilarious. I feel like it's it's becoming the same way on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where every character is just so well-developed and so well-written that pairing them with any other character, it just works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. Uh, the other thing is that while Lincoln's on the run, he kind of reaches out to an old, I guess it was a sponsor. Like it was like Lincoln, I guess either had a drug or alcohol problem at one point. Um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming probably related. Well, at that time, probably not related to his abilities, but we get the, the picture that Lincoln was probably some sort of troubled youth um, or a troubled young adult. Maybe. I mean, still, he's still a young adult, at least from my perspective, but uh, uh, troubled at one point. And uh, so he reaches out to his sponsor and, you know, he's able to kind of help him out uh, until he realizes what he is. You know, once he figures out what Lincoln is, he turns on him. And, uh, you know, when Lincoln tries to calm him down and get away, he accidentally, I mean, the guy has a heart condition and then ends up having a heart attack. And, and so Lincoln inadvertently kills him. I mean, it would, you know, obviously he didn't, didn't mean to do it. You know, Lincoln is not really a, uh, he's not, he's not a, you know, he's not a killer. He, he's, you know, he's just a guy that, you know, is, happens to have these abilities. Uh, I thought it was cool. He kind of, you know, used his, his powers to shock him, try and, you know, jumpstart his heart. Um, and that didn't work, which again, kind of put him more on the run. Um, and, and so that, that kind of set things off with him needing to reach out to Daisy to, uh, to, to track him down. So that kind of became the other, plot of the movie is is you know atcu trying to move on lincoln uh you know daisy and them trying to find him um you know all while all that's kind of going on yeah i worry that that um this episode might have been been the beginning of maybe a darker turn for lincoln um because he's he's acting a lot out of desperation and he believes himself to be dangerous and to be a threat um, and you know, he, he has killed somebody intentionally or not. He killed somebody. Um, and I think what's that, what that's done to his, his own, uh, perception of himself as he continues to make decisions out of desperation and what he believes himself to be kind of influences that. I think we, I think it's possible that we see Lincoln, uh, potentially go, go a little dark this season uh hopefully you know before being redeemed in some way yeah and then he have a little we you know there's a little bit of betrayal too because uh you know it turns out that Cole, you know especially with daisy because and and mac because colson agrees to you know basically give give him over to the atcu um which i think kind of took everybody by surprise and lincoln wasn't real happy about that either yeah, the one person that he feels like he can trust was was Daisy, and even she kind of let him down. Yeah. So again, I you know it's funny. Last season, I wasn't really the biggest Lincoln fan. I, you know, I thought he was okay as a character. Um, you know, and then obviously after, with this episode, we find out that Sky definitely has 
feelings for for Lincoln. I thought for a minute there she was maybe pulling one over on him, like she was doing that to uh, either tell him something without everybody knowing it or, you know, without Mac hearing it or, or something like that. But it looks like it's the real deal. Cause Mac even, you know, basically says, look, you know, I, I don't want to have to say anything, you know, about this and, you know, whatever. Um, so I kind of saw that coming last season, you know, obviously they laid the seeds for it, but to me, Lincoln, and maybe it's just because of what he went through in this episode is a much more interesting character. Uh, I feel this season than he was last season. Yeah, I agree. I think the romance element did feel a little bit forced to me. I'm not sure they have that much romantic chemistry. Um, but as a whole, I agree. I do like his character a lot more than last season. Cool. So anything else about uh, a wanted inhuman? Um, uh, well, we find out at the end of the, the season... Uh, or I'm sorry, at the end of the episode that uh, one of the reasons that, that Simmons is, you know, so, so rattled about her return to earth is not that she's happy to get away, but that she needs to go back. Yes. Yes. Um, And we get that amazing scene between uh, Fitz and Simmons in, in the restaurant when they finally go, go get dinner together. Yeah, it was like again the first the first hint of Elizabeth Henstridge kind of given this uh you know f- phenomenal performance. Um but yeah, when she breaks down in the restaurant, I was just like, "Oh man." And Fitz is just like uh you know, I don't think he knows what to do. And the and the fact that the even the the major D in the restaurant says, "Oh, we've been holding your reservation like every day since she's been gone." Like just on the you know, Fitz wanted to make sure if she came back that you know, he would be able to take her where he said he was going to take her at the end of season two. So, uh, you know, which makes what's, what's about to come even more heartbreaking, uh, for Fitz. Definitely. Yeah. So episode four devils, you know, uh, this episode had a lot going on and uh, a cliffhanger that would not be resolved in episode five. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Um, but it, again, it starts out with, uh, some inhumans, but these we find out are pre-terrigen, uh, you know, exposure inhumans. So these were inhumans that, uh, my understanding is these were inhumans that were a part of, um, uh, I forget that. Was it Avalon? The, the place where, uh, uh, afterlife, afterlife. Yes. Thank you. Uh, that everybody w- was at. And so that, you know, they're just part of this community of people that either left or, uh, you know, were granted uh, leave at, at one point. Uh, you know, after being there, because um, they, you know, they talk about this email message they get, which turns out to be, um, you know, bogus in a way to to kind of track them down is is what it what it ends up being. Uh, there's another inhuman that has some IT skills that is working for Lash uh, and is helping him find other inhumans so Lash can can track them down. Um, and they're they're pretty much made short work of uh, it in the at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. Um, and we get the reappearance of, uh, Oh, I'm totally forgetting her name. The girl who can duplicate herself. Yes. Yes. Um, she, she just kind of comes out of nowhere a little bit, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's okay. Cause they kind of address it later on. Daisy says that she reached out to them and wanted to help. Um, especially when it was, you know, their, 
their her her former friends reaching out and and looking for sort of a community to belong to or or support or whatever. And that that becomes a point of contention with um with Dr. Garner is you know because he feels like uh, Coulson put her at risk and you know even and Coulson says look you know I, I wasn't anticipating her to be attacked she wanted to help she wanted to you know, uh, you know, work with us and give us information. It wasn't my intention to, you know, put her in the field as an, as an agent, uh, per right. se. And Garner kind of, kind of hits back at Colson on that. So it becomes a little bit of a, of a, of a point of contention. Uh, the gloves come back. Daisy's gloves. Yeah. We haven't seen much of that this season. And, uh, they look so fantastic that any, any chance we get to see them, I'm, I'm grateful for. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like she showed, you know, the beginning of season one, I'm like, oh, there's the, there's the gauntlets. We've got the gauntlets. And, uh, and then no gauntlets in episode two, no gauntlets in episode three. And then in episode four, boom, they show up again. So it's kind of weird. Even in, you know, like in, in episode two, they kind of were on a mission, you know, her and Mac, and she didn't have the gauntlets. So it's kind of weird how they kind of appear and, and disappear. I don't know. It seems like when she's geared up with her official shield, uh, you know, gear that she has the gloves on. And when she's just kind of plain closing it, I guess she doesn't, which I, I guess makes sense if you don't want to draw attention to yourself. But it, it's just funny how it seems to be somewhat arbitrary that she wears the gloves or not, or the gauntlets yeah, or not. Yeah, I think we might we might get to see those a little bit more maybe in the second half of the season when the Secret Warriors start, you know, actually doing things as a team. Yeah, yeah. So, the, the you know, the other there's a lot going on in this episode. There's all these, these angles, you know, with, with Ward, with Hunter, with, um, you know, with Daisy, with the ATCU. I mean, it's like all this stuff is, this almost felt like a, um, like a half season finale, you know, cause it just seemed like all of these little bits and pieces were kind of all coming together. Um, yeah. It was a, it was a packed episode and it had a couple of cliffhangers actually. Yeah. Um, one of course was, was Lash, uh, sort of powering down and de-hulking. Um, yeah, yeah. So the, they end up the the crew ends up finding out that uh, that what it what it was is um, there's this IT hacker that uh, named Fry Dwight Fry who was basically sending out these emails and tracking people down. And everything else, uh, and that they kind of go after him, which I thought it was interesting when he, like his cocoon was still in his apartment, and they made it seem like he's been outed as an inhuman for quite some time. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. At least a few months. I was like, why would you still have that cocoon sitting there? I don't know. Some sometimes the things I focus on are are kind of strange, but no, I, was I like, hear you. I was like, why is that cocoon there? Um, and it turns out he's. I guess his. Inhuman ability is like sensitivity to other inhumans because yeah he was sort of a divining rod yeah yeah so when you know Daisy got too close he started breaking out in like boils and and you know lesions all over him uh, so when another inhuman comes near him it it you know he starts to get headaches and he gets he's adversely affected uh, you know by this and so it, they're finally able to track him down and in the spirit of greater cooperation between Shield and the ATCU. Uh, Coulson is willing to give Dwight up to uh, to Rosalind and her crew, um, and Daisy and Mac kind of balk at that a little bit. It's like you know, hey, you know, okay, fine, 
you know, it's great that you're sharing and everything, but, you know, why do we always seem to be on the ass end of this deal? You know, we're, we're you know, there's there's got to be give and take. And so they want to go with to, you know, to kind of keep them safe, to find out what they're, you know, what are they doing with these inhumans when they get them? You know, we don't even, we, we don't know. And so Colson kind of strong arms Rosalind a little bit and says, hey, you know, you need to, this need this exchange needs to go both ways. So you need to make room for two, you know, two of my people on, on your, your bus. They send it off. And like you're saying, lash at, so the interesting thing, Rosalind kind of gives her second right-hand man, you know, says something to him. They load up and they head out. Do you think maybe he is Lash? I think that's definitely, it's definitely a possibility. Although I'm not sure if, if he actually is, or maybe if that's a misdirect. Yeah. Two on the uh, nose, maybe. Yeah. If the show wants us to think that he is so that when we find out who he actually, or who uh, Lash actually is, we'll, we'll be more surprised because we are so sure it, it, it's Banks. Yeah, because I mean, they, she makes a point of saying, "Look, we're not killing these people." You know that that you know we thought it was you that was doing it. So, and it seemed pretty on the level. So it just seems like if that's what's really going on, you know, she's like, I don't think she's really being that devious um, as far as you know Coulson goes. Because I I see over the course of this season, I see the two of them honestly um, coming together more so than than breaking apart. But. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I will say that if Banks is Lash, I'd be shocked if Rosalind knows about it. Right. No, that's a good point. Yeah, that he may be just kind of acting on his own. Uh, but right. they make they make a point of editing him to where he seems very mysterious and very uh, very antagonistic uh, in general. So. Yeah, that's true. So I'd be curious to see. But anyway, he, so Lash shows up, finds the 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 transport vehicle. Uh, and kills Banks, but doesn't kill Day. Like he, he kills Fry. A, he kills Fry. I'm sorry. Uh, kills Fry, but doesn't kill Daisy or Mac or anybody else. It's almost like he's in a position where he could do it, but doesn't. And even Daisy is like, yeah, that's something's going on. But and she, like you said, she looks out uh, after the attack and sees the shadow of him going from you know the size he was to the size of a normal human. Uh, right. And so that kind of rattles her to say, you know, okay, now we're looking for somebody who doesn't always look that way. Uh, you know, it's it's one thing when you're looking for somebody that, you know, looks the way Lash does. He kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. But now if he could be anybody, uh, you know, th- this this got a whole lot more difficult uh, than, than we thought. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that, that Lash maybe being anybody will, will play into the paranoia moving forward into this season. Yeah, especially, but you know, Daisy more so than anybody because she, you know, f- was able to witness it firsthand. So, so I thought that was an interesting twist. I didn't expect that coming. I didn't think that Lash was anybody other than Lash. <laughs> yeah, same here. Um, I I had no idea that that was the way that they were going to take this character. Yeah. Uh, so now that back to Hunter and and May. So May comes back in uh, to to the base and kind of has a little one-on-one with Colson, uh, which I thought was a great conversation. You know, he, you know, he, she came, she comes back to say, look, Hunter is, I've lost him. He's, he's getting close to ward. Um, but he's going to need backup and I don't know where he is, but when I find him, I'll let you know, and you better come with, you know, you bring, bring everyone, uh, because he's going to need, he's going to need some help. And, 
you know, Colson even says to, to Mays, like, look, you know, you know, are you coming back? And she's like, well, I don't know. And, you know, Colson thinks, well, maybe it's because, you know, Dr. Garner is, is back and that it's going to cause a problem between the two of them. And she says, no, you know, you need Andrew. He's a good resource for you. And, you know, Colson even says, look, we could replace, you know, he's replaceable. You not so much. Uh, you know, he, you know, the relationship between Colson and May is so tight that, uh, you know, he's willing to give up Garner as a consultant in order to get May back if that's what's going to, if that's what's going to cause a problem. And so it, you know, we still don't know what's up with, with May and Andrew, uh, you know, as to why they, you know, things kind of went south between them. Uh, you know, after that conversation, the two of them have a, you know, Andrew and, and may have a conversation and, you know, they basically, they basically each kind of say, yeah, you know, we're both, we were both kind of stupid and, um, you know, but, but they kind of allude to something that happened that we still don't know quite what happened. Yeah. Um, and you know, now we know that, that Andrew was the one who, who left may in, uh, Hawaii, wherever they were. So lots, lots of interesting things going on, um, with, with May this season and, and her emotional state. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's, so as Hunter gets closer, he's passed his test, he's ready to go. Uh, and so like anytime somebody goes to the bad guys hideout, they can't, you can't see where they're going. Um, so I love it when they tell Hunter to get in the trunk and he's like, not in the bloody boot and like, not again, <laughs> you know, and shoved in the trunk. Um, so anyway, I just thought that was funny. I mean, Hunter, I, I love, uh, I love that character. I mean, the bringing him. I mean, I, I love Adrian Pilecki as Mockingbird, but uh, nobody makes me laugh and, and just has a great sense of comic timing and, and just, uh, you know, just a way to to add something that was missing from the show, I think, uh, than, than the character of Lance Hunter. I mean, Nick Blood is just, is just really, really great as that character. And uh, it, it's funny because it was after this episode and the last episode, I was like, you know... For a while, they were talking about doing this whole Mockingbird and Hunter spinoff, and I was like, eh, I don't know about that. Um, but now that this season seems to be going more down the lane of Inhumans and Secret Warriors, and that's kind of what they're doing, uh, I I could almost see that you know the 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 Bobby and Hunter show, uh, you know, kind of being giving us something that they don't have to do on you know if 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 it stays Agents of Shield. It can kind of be, you know, two separate things without having to try and be both things at the same time. If that if that makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, they they definitely have their own uh, story to tell and their own style that they can make their show as as Agents of Shield continues to do the Inhuman stuff and and you know Ward can be all about taking down. I mean, uh, Hunter can be all about taking down Ward uh, or or Hydra or whatever. Uh, is left of that organization by the end of the season. Yeah, because one of the things I was thinking is they could even move, you know, because of the way Hunter's going after Ward, move move Ward to that show. Because one of the things I think, I feel like if I have a critique of season three is that Ward is kind of getting the short shrift. Now, obviously this episode, he's in quite a bit. Uh, we saw a couple episodes back that he, he played a, fair, a, a fairly good role. But like, f- for you know, Two out of five episodes, he's had a presence in. The other three, he's really had none. Now, granted, one of them, nobody had a presence other than other than Simmons. But 
uh, I feel like he's kind of getting the short end of the stick with all of the things that are going on this season. Uh, and I think, you know, I love evil ward. I mean, to me, the best thing that happened was evil ward. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's just yeah. so much better as evil ward than straight ward. Um, yeah. And I think if, if season three of agents of shield, uh, does nothing more than set up ward as the big bad of season one of most wanted, I'm cool with that. I'd be okay with that because it would mean that we get even more of Ward uh, in a different show. Yeah, totally, totally agree. So as as everything kind of comes to a head, they take Hunter to the to the Hydra lair, um, and and he gets out. May's able to to track him down. You know, just one of those things that she's able to do. Um, and at that time, Hunter kind of shows his cards. Uh, Ward realizes who he's dealing with, and. Uh, in order to kind of give himself an out, he shows May some video that he has of Werner von Strucker confronting uh, Dr. Andrew Garner in like a bodega or something like that. Uh, and, you know, you know, Hunter thinks he's he's bluffing. He's not really going to do it. But the more that May sees and hears, the more she realizes he is not bluffing, that these guys walk in with gas cans Um and then, you know, a confrontation takes place. And so there's a lot of these intercuts uh, and the episodes left with Hunter basically saying, screw it, I'm going after Ward charges in. So therefore, Ward isn't able to call off Von Strucker and his goons. Uh, and we see there's somebody laying on the ground. There's some blood and then they set fire to the place and it and it kind of blows up. And so we're kind of left to believe, you know, that well, Ward gets away. Uh, Hunter and May kind of kind of have words with each other, and we're kind of, of course, led to believe that Andrew died in the fire. Um, but I don't. Yeah, <laughs> led to believe. I think is the key word. Yeah, there. I don't think uh, that's what's happened. I think personally, we're going to find out that Andrew Garner is a bit of a badass himself, <laughs> um, and I think he was able to take at least one of those guys down and sneak away. And now whether they're, you know, keeping his death a secret so that, you know, they, they he stays safe or, um, you know, whether he's incapacitated or something like that. But, you know, just the, you know, for a variety of reasons, uh, I, I don't I don't think they would have left so many unanswered questions and left things the way they did if they didn't intend for Garner to interact with specifically May, but even even some of the other characters like it, it almost seemed like his arc wasn't finished um, for them to kill him off. Yeah. I, I actually think that Ward might be more devious than people give him credit for. Um, I, I think that was his plan all along it, not to kill Andrew, but to kidnap him. Um, if you notice that when, when, uh, Von Strucker was running away from the burning convenience store or gas station or whatever it was, um, he didn't have his goons with him. His, his, henchmen with him um i think that ward probably told him you know kill one of your guys and burn the place down so that they can't identify his body and kidnap garner and uh i think that'll be his you know his ace up his sleeve later on when he confronts shield uh is you know he'll he'll have garner to use as either a bargaining chip or a hostage or somebody to get information from about what shield is up to yeah, yeah, that that's definitely a a solid theory. Uh you know, I again, I just I just don't 
I just don't see him being gone from the show. Um, oh, definitely not. And the uh, so the stinger with this episode was Simmons realizing that. So you know, part of the other thing going on in this episode is this little back and forth between uh, Bobby Fitz and Simmons, where Bobby keeps fishing. F- to Fitz, like, hey, have you talked to Simmons? Like, I thought you guys went to dinner. Did she say anything? And Fitz is like, nope, she hadn't said anything to me. She said anything to you? And Bobby's like, uh, no, she hadn't said anything to me. Um, and then Fitz comes across some research that Gemma's doing, you know, on the portal and the and the stone and all that kind of stuff. And so he he kind of gets upset about that. And so there, there there's all this kind of like three way thing going on of what's really going on with Simmons, uh, you know. And she's having you know obviously P, you know PTSD. She's you know she's not really opening up about what's going on. Obviously she did to Bobby. So at the end of this episode, she basically comes to Fitz and says, "Okay, look, I need to be honest with you, and I need to tell you everything. Um, so let me you know let me start at the beginning and tell you the the whole truth." Um, and so that's how the episode ends. Um, yeah, which, which leads perfectly into the next episode. Yeah. Uh, so is there anything, uh, anything, anything I forgot with devils, you know, that you want to, you want to add in or no, I think it's, I think it's a pretty packed episode, but you hit all the main points. Yeah. So, uh, so we were left with this cliffhanger in episode four and then we get to episode five and it's entitled 4,722 hours. Uh, and the entire episode uh, is what happened to Gemma while she was gone. Uh, and this episode, you know, I, I hate to be uh, to give like hyperbole, but like this is like an Emmy contending episode in my mind. I mean, if if nothing else, the first half for certain uh you know, just the way it was shot, the way it was edited, the way it was acted. Um, this is probably one of my favorite episodes of the season so far. Um, and mainly for just like a lot of it is the aesthetic uh, portion of it. And it was it was directed by Stephen Bochco. And uh, there's an article and it's the inside story of how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. pulled off uh, the incredible 4,722 hours. Uh, and they talked to the writers and they talked to uh, the director and uh, they shot this episode what they call day for night. So they actually shot it during the day in the desert in California. And it was it was basically turned into night in post. So everything was given that blue, you know, hue where it was kind of like always dusk. Uh, and I thought, you know, the fact that they're on this planet, you know, who knows where. And it's always nighttime. Uh, I just thought was really just I, I don't know just the, like the look of it really made you feel like you were on an alien planet i think if they would have just shot this like uh you know like the martian or something like that where it's just out in the desert and you know hey this is an alien planet um i don't think it would have the same impact the fact that they just kind of played with the color and the hue uh to me just really really was visually stunning yeah i know some people weren't a big fan of the blue filter but personally i'm with you i think um you know, we don't necessarily know what night on a on another planet would would look like. We don't know what the atmosphere was like and all that stuff. So I I think that that's kind of nitpicky to to say that they didn't like the bluish filter over everything. But I completely agree with you. I loved this episode. I think it's probably, uh, if not the best of the se- of the series so far, certainly in the top couple. 
yeah, uh, yeah, totally agree. And I just love the whole, like, okay, three hours. And then it's like, you know, 18 hours and like 72, you know, and she starts, you know, it's all this monologue of, well, I can go X many days without food and, you know, X many hours without water. And, you know, so it just becomes like, okay, you know, here we have Simmons who isn't, you know, the, you know, she's not a field agent. Well, she's done some stints in the field. She is not a field agent. So she's not, you know, she, she is a woman of science, not a, you know, not a survivalist. Uh, and you know, the way they go, um, you know, the, the way that they do this, uh, I, I just thought was incredible, you know, and she's got her phone that, you know, she's basically, you know, it's kind of, I mean, a lot of parallels to things like, you know, the Martian is, is, is still, I think on everybody's brain. So there's, you know, some comparison to that. Um, I, I thought a lot of like enemy mine. I don't know if you ever saw the movie enemy mine that was done in the eighties. I haven't. No. Uh, it's Dennis Quaid and Lou Gossett Jr. And basically it's two, not to go too far down the path, but the, the premise of that movie is there are two warring factions. One is Lou Gossett Jr. plays like an alien, alien, alien. And, and um, uh, Dennis Quaid plays a human humanoid and they're sworn enemies and they end up crash. Land. They both are in this battle. They both crash land on this planet and they have to learn to kind of get along with each other and survive to find a way off. Uh, so a lot of parallels to, to that kind of story. Um, but to just see her start, you know, giving these video diaries and then, you know, she's trying to find food and she's trying to just kind of like rationalize like, OK, Fitz is going to find, you know, you know, a way to come get me. And everything revolves around Fitz. I mean, she looks at you know his picture and says, you know, good night, Fitz, when she's going to bed. And, uh, you know, and just, you know, it really is starting to hit home the fact that. I think Gemma is starting to understand uh, their relationship and really starting to come around to the fact that the two of them are probably more than friends, um, which makes the ending even more heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the whole ha- second half of the episode really is kind of heartbreaking for that same reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, the hours, you know, keeping to count and yet the fact, again, because of the whole night lasting forever, the fact that these hours keep clicking by and, you know, you really don't feel like, you know, it's been days, weeks, months, you know, and, and kind of putting the audience in, in Simmons's shoes, you know, right, where she doesn't, you know, she probably has, you know, other than her phone telling her, you know, how many days have gone by or whatever, whatever, calc- you know, whatever, you know, mechanism there is there she really has no idea like how long you know the passage of time is probably uh you know problematic because there's no cycling of of the day and the night but she's able to find yeah food and she's able to find water which which i thought was pretty cool uh yeah the uh the plant monster thing that uh at first attacks her and then later on she she attacks it and I couldn't tell if she actually killed her or if she just managed to hack off one of its arms or stems or whatever um, branches. But, uh, you know, she, she manages to use that as a food source for at least a little while um, and, and sort of get the basic survival needs. There's kind of a triumphant moment that reminded me of Castaway uh, yes. when she builds fire yes. for the first time. Yeah, there was a huge Castaway vibe for me in, in this. I mean, it just... What I think when she kills that creature and then cooks, she says, what does she say? Like, 
you know, your dinner, bitch, or something like that. It was, it was just yeah. like this yeah. triumphant moment for for Simmons, where she feels like she's got one over on you know this environment that's just doing nothing but trying to kill her. Um, uh, and then she gets captured, uh, and it's by another. You know, at first you don't know, like, okay, is this another human? Is this somebody that's stuck like her? You know, what's going on? Uh, and you know, at first, and, and so she's being you know held captive in this cage. She's able to to trick this this guy and get away, and then and then gets it's recaptured. And you know, we find out this guy's been there for fourteen years. Uh, at at this point, he's been there since two thousand one. No coincidence. Uh, <laughs> apparently, yeah. apparently, talking to the writers, that was something they did intentionally. Uh, you know, to, as kind of an homage to uh to Stanley Kubrick's 2001: A Space Odyssey, to have you know them be stranded there since 2001. Since we turned, it turns out that Will is an astronaut, um, and was part of a, a team of other astronauts that were sent, uh, through the portal, uh, to to kind of test things out. Um, and that's kind of another Easter egg. I guess one of them is kind of a dual Easter egg. You find out the other astronauts are uh, Austin, Taylor, and Brubaker. And, yes. and Austin is an homage to Steve Austin, the $6 million man, who is a uh, astronaut test pilot. Um, and uh, Taylor, obviously a homage to George Taylor, the uh, astronaut from Planet of the Apes. Uh, and the last one to Brubaker, who I thought originally they were just talking about Ed Brubaker, the the famous comic writer. Uh, and it were they not? No, they were talking, reading the article from MTV. Uh, they're talking about Charles Brubaker, who's played by James Brolin in the movie Capricorn One, uh, huh. which obviously makes it makes sense because uh, you know the, the, the Capricorn. The premise of Capricorn One is the the moon landing was faked and it was all filmed on a back lot and. It was kind of this plot to to get to the bottom of the you know the, let the truth get out. Uh, O.J. Simpson starred in it. Elliot Gould, um, but yeah. So Brew Baker was a so they took these three famous movie astronauts and uh, and uh, and that's what they were doing with that. Oh wow, I, I didn't know that. I like you. I assumed that Brew Baker was a, a nod to Ed Brew Baker. Yeah. So again, yeah. I, I like I said, I, I'll uh, maybe I'll, I'll repin this or put put this article in, uh, retag it. But it's the MTV article goes into great detail about, again, how they filmed it and um, all kind of the technical side of of things, uh, and 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 how they did it. But um, um, but but you know, it turns out the astronaut they they you know once Gemma realizes that this guy is from Earth, he's been stuck here for 14 years. He's got some supplies and some stuff with him that, you know, she's just not stuck on this planet uh, with nothing. So they do have some stuff there and she's able to, uh, you know, actually sleep on something other than uh, her jacket and uh, rock. Uh, they could, So they kind of make their, their he's kind of made his home underground. And we find out a lot, a lot of the reason why he kept Gemma, uh, Gemma prisoner was he felt like there's basically the as he puts it the planet is alive and it's evil and it's it's always trying to kill you and mess with your head and you know make you see things and do things that you know that are not quite right and uh you know that gets into a lot of you know what happened to the other astronauts and so uh you know he's very skeptical until he realizes that she is indeed real she is not there to kill him and she's stuck just like he is um and over time uh, you know, the two of them start to form a bond, of course, because at this point it's been months now that she's been stuck there and they feel like they're probably going to be there forever. Um, and, 
you know, if they can't find a way out. And so Gemma is able to finally figure out that uh, the reason that portal shows up is just that the portal is fixed in time. It's them that are moving. So whenever this thing appears, it'll always appear in a different part of the planet as the planet rotates. And she's able to kind of do some calculations and figure some things out and kind of predict based on how many days they've been there and where the thing showed up and looking at the map and everything else and doing some surveying where this portal is going to show up. And so they can find a way to get, uh, to get, you know, you know, she get, get word and get home. Um, and so they concoct this crazy MacGyver, uh, air cannon device to, to hit the, uh, you know, to hit the portal. And it turns out they, they missed it. And so at that point, I think they both realize, okay, we're probably going to be stuck here forever. Um, and so they, they develop this romantic relationship with each other and, um, you know, even, even then I think Will kind of gets an understanding of who Fitz is and, um, you know, he knows a lot about Fitz even having not met him. Um, and so, so that again, the two of them are, are, you know, they celebrate the, I guess the sunrise, uh, that, you know, the first sunrise, I guess that happens every, I forget how long did they say, what is it? Every it's like 18, 18 years, yeah, I think. 18 years, there's a sunrise on this planet. Um, so they kind of celebrate that together and you can tell that, they, you know, they have this budding relationship. Well, as we get to the end of the episode, they see the flare go off and they realize that, um, you know, that, that Simmons realizes Fitz has found a way to get them home. Um, and then in the course of them trying to leave this entity or whatever it is, causes the, you know, Will and, and Gemma to be separated. Uh, and Fitz, uh, is able to get, you know, he tells her to just go on, go on, um, and, you know, then we get to the part where we got at the end of episode two, where we see Fitz, you know, we just see it from Gemma's side, not from Fitz's side. Um, and that's how she gets home. And, you know, so then we cut back to, you know, Simmons telling Fitz the story. And at that point, and she says, you know, I have to go back. Um, I have to go back. And at that point, you know, Fitz just is like, okay, he gets up, they get over, they start, you know, he starts going through his stuff and he said, we're going to figure this out. We're going to get him home. And I was just like, Oh man, that's like, Oh, like tugging at your heartstrings. It's like this poor Fitz. He's like, he loves her so much that he will, he, he will sacrifice that because he knows how much this person means to her. Yeah. Um, one of the things I loved, you know, I know a lot of people weren't overly thrilled that the reason Simmons had to go back was a love triangle. Um, but to the show's credit, I think they did it so well. And one of the things that I loved about this episode is that no, nobody behaved wrong. Nobody, nobody did anything wrong here. Right. Uh, you know, Simmons, well, first off, it's not like they were in a relationship, so it's not like she cheated on him or anything. Right. But even though there was, even then there was some sort of implied, you know, she, she knew he had feelings for her. But she waited until she was absolutely sure that she was never getting off that planet. And she and Will sought, you know, comfort and and companionship together on a planet that they were going to live on for the rest of their lives. And then when they got back, Simmons didn't hide it. That could, you know, a lesser show might have uh, drawn that out for a couple episodes when Simmons was trying to hide her her secret past on the on the planet. And it wasn't until will came back that Fitz found out that there'd been a re- relationship between them. She was honest. She laid everything out on the table and, and then Fitz 
didn't react with jealousy or or spite or say, good, I'm glad he's there. He said, okay, we're going to get it back. Every character acted nobly and and true to their character. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And it's funny because um, they they played this from a writing perspective, in my opinion, so well from the, from the get-go. You know, like from episode two and then episode three um, and into episode four is like you you see that Gemma you, you think it's PTSD, right? And even she has that conversation with Dr. Garner and, and he's like, you know, you, you know, it's normal to suffer from, you know, some post, you know, and she says, Oh, you think I'm suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and she says, I'm telling you, I'm fine. Cause we think based on what we saw at the end of episode one, that, you know, Oh, she's, she's getting, you know, she probably had some horrible experience. She was getting chased by something. She's, you know, there, there's there's this thing that that that's happened to her, and she was stuck in isolation, alone on this planet. Well, you know, and then when we get to the end of episode five, we find that no, that's not why she's she's acting that way. She's acting that way because this this man she's come to love and that kept her alive and kept her going um, is still there, and she got to come home. Uh, and and so that's the, she's she's kind of feeling the guilt and the loss from that, not some you know, crazy post-traumatic stress uh, situation where she was subjected to, uh, you know, this this harsh and crazy environment, which I think, you know, again, when you get to that payoff uh, in, in this episode, to me, it just makes it so much more interesting because you think, oh, it's, I love when you think something is one way and then it truly is something different. Uh, and, and I think they really succeeded in in pulling that off with the way they they had her act and respond prior to this episode. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, yeah, and I, I think she, you know, she's breaking down because I think there is some element of PTSD because she did go through a traumatic event, but it's also heartbreak and loss and survivor's guilt for sure. And and yeah, I think that that complex uh, concoction of emotions is it it breaks her down, and we get what we saw in episode uh, in episode three when she breaks down at, at the dinner table. And once we know all of the reasons behind it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, totally, totally agree. So to me, this again, you know, I, you know, you can't sell short the performance of Elizabeth Henstridge in this episode. And then by the same token, you can't short shrift Ian DeCastaker as fits in this episode, because even though he only popped in for that last minute and a half or whatever it was, it was just again the two of those put on such a such a fabulous performance. It, it it just blew me away. Like it really did. And and like I said, me more so. I think the first half than the second half with Simmons. Just the stuff with her by herself and and you know how she survived and you know kind of to me that was way way you know more interesting than even the the stuff that happened in the second half. But but just the way they played Fitz off is just you know not even skipping a beat and just you know, getting to work on solving this problem, I thought was, was awesome. I mean, like I said, I mean, I hate to use the word Emmy, Emmy worthy, uh, you know, cause it just sounds kind of cliched, but to me, I mean, if, if there's been an episode in my opinion of this season that, that is worthy of consideration, it would be this one. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And I, and I don't think it's, uh, it, it's hyperbole to say that either. I think, you know, that's a valid statement. I think it, it really shows what this show can be. And I think, you know, uh, sometimes people get too tied up in the whole superhero aspect of it 
but you know the fact that you could tell good drama and uh you know i think we've seen that in the movies uh you know they've they've hinted and flirted with that um and i think this show definitely this is this is a standout for you know for me so i could easily see if yeah if, if uh I guess because of the schedule, they don't really have re- like this would be in a traditional TV season, um, you know, years ago where there'd be, uh, you know, a slot for reruns. This is one of those that they would rerun. Like if you had like a three week break where they have to run reruns, this would be the one they would rerun. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um. So, yeah, so that's episode five. So. A long one, uh, a lot of catching up we had to to do this week, um, but this gets us back on track. Uh, we're recording this Monday night, the second, so uh, tomorrow night we'll get episode six, Among Us Hide, uh, and then uh, so hopefully we'll get to record later this week uh, on that, and then be back on our weekly track again, which will be which will be great. Um, and like you said, unlike even season two, there's really no breaks. I mean, we go straight through to. Um, to, it looks like, uh, I think the schedule looks off cause I'm looking at like IMDB and it shows, it shows 22 weeks straight through February, but I don't think that's true. Yeah. Well, I know we, I think there's one off week in November, um, probably the week before Thanksgiving, but I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, there's, there's one week that we're not getting an episode, but for the most part, because we get a longer winter break with Agent Carter uh, slotted in the middle there, uh, there, there's really no need to space out the season because you have the material to fill as many weeks as you as you want to, basically. Yeah, and Agent Carter is going to be an eight episode season or a ten episode season instead of a. I guess last week, last time we got an eight episode season, so right, we've got a little bit longer um, there to fill the gap. So yeah, so it looks like we'll will be pretty solid. Um, but yeah, so uh, any any final final thoughts? Any anything big you got going on the site that you wanna wanna plug? Um, keep an eye out in the next week or so. We're gonna be posting a lot of uh, cool new features. We got uh, some Netflix stuff, some things that we'd like to see maybe make it, uh, an appearance on Netflix. Uh, some Iron Fist articles coming out. Uh, lots of good stuff on the feature side of the site coming out in the next few weeks or so. Awesome, awesome. And we're, as we record this, we're about two and a half weeks away from Jessica Jones. So, uh, which is going to be interesting how we weave that in because um, we got a pretty full plate on the TV side. Like like we mentioned, not many weeks off between uh, Agents of Shield, Agent Carter, and then back to Agents of Shield. Um, to to squeak in Jessica Jones, we still have to do one more episode uh, on Daredevil to kind of wrap up the the characters we hadn't covered. So, um, you know, what we might do is just do like we did for Daredevil after the first after it premieres. We'll probably scramble on real quick and record something that goes pretty in detail on the first two episodes uh, while it's fresh, and then kind of figure out a plan of attack for the for the rest. So it may involve you know us dedicating like a space in every episode to. To kind of talking about another episode of of Jessica Jones to get us through, um, so we'll see. We'll see. Lots of let's let's. There's more to talk about than we have time to talk. 
That's a nice problem to have, though. It is. It is. Uh, you know, because for a while it was, you know, when it was just the movies, we were recording much less frequently. And, uh, and then when we had, for season one, we had large breaks in the TV season. Same same thing. And now we're just jam-packed. So uh, we will be solid, it looks like, through uh, through the summer, even. Uh, all right. Uh, so I guess that's it. So, again, uh, check out what... Doug and the MCU Exchange crew have going on at mcuexchange.com. Uh, I'm I should be gearing up the the news minutes again. Uh, I didn't do one today just because we recorded today, so uh, I didn't want to put out a news minute of stuff we were going to talk about on an episode that was going to post uh, the next day. That would be silly. Um, so as things start to heat up, it sounds like between filming of Luke Cage and and uh, Jessica Jones nearing and some movie stuffs looking like it's starting to gel. Uh, I think the news minutes will come back a little more frequently uh, than they have been. But yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, head on over to the Facebook page as well, facebook.com slash MCU podcast. Head over to Twitter at MCU underscore podcast. Uh, you can check us out on Twitter. Um, check out our Patreon campaign if you want to help support the show uh, and help keep us more regular and to do some hopefully better and more exciting stuff in the future, uh, head over to patreon.com slash it's all connected. Uh, we thank everybody for their support of the show. Um, and until hopefully later this week, uh, to post, uh, over the weekend or early next week, uh, this is Doug and Russ, and you've been listening to it's all connected. <laughs>